Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 60 at the Practicology Podcast. It's your co-host Mike Knox and Matthew Kane again here. And during the last two years, the world has gone through COVID-19 pandemic, and here at the podcast, we haven't mentioned it a ton, but uh, we want to talk about it a little bit today. We know the last two years has been really hard on churches, on individual Christians, and uh, I think in both of the places where Matthew and I live, restrictions are lifting. Praise the Lord for that. And we just want to talk a little bit about a toolkit for post-COVID recovery. What are some tools and strategies that will enable us to say not just that we survived COVID, but but that we can return to some sense of thriving again? Yeah, Mike, and I appreciate the the title, a toolkit for post-COVID recovery. It excites me. I'm interested to, to hear what tools you have in your toolkit as well. But before I get to my first one, I think it's also fair that we just... Um, recognize that the world is not post-COVID yet, even though restrictions are being loosened. Uh, we know of a, a young person here who's dealing with long COVID, and I know many of our listeners probably still have some hesitations about some of the restrictions being removed as well. So we recognize, and that's part of the thing we'll be discussing today, that people have different impressions of this, and that's understandable. And uh, the pandemic is still here, but thankfully, uh, restrictions are easing. And this current variant doesn't seem to be as severe. Yeah, that's a good caution, Matthew. And uh, it is important that we factor in the the reality that we're all going to have different reactions. And and Matthew, you and I haven't really sat together and planned out this episode. We each uh, just went away and brainstormed a few a few suggestions we'd have for a toolkit for post COVID recovery. So I'm interested in hearing what is the first one you would put in your toolkit. All right. Well, number one, from my perspective, I think it's absolutely essential that we remember the sovereignty of God. Now, it's in the context of suffering and how in our suffering, we sometimes don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit of God reminds us in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. COVID has caused a lot of stress and a lot of damage and I know at times that it seems the, the response to dealing with COVID has caused even more damage at times. But none of what has transpired over the last couple of years is outside the realm of God's sovereignty. There is nothing that has caught God by surprise. And he's not sitting on his throne worrying about how the church is going to deal with COVID uh, God is still over all of these things, and he's allowed these things to happen, hasn't he? Absolutely, Matthew, and this is uh, bedrock truth for us. I'm so glad that you've, you're putting this into our toolkit because we have to rest on this truth that COVID-19 was part of God's sovereign plan, and he is working all things together for our good. Yeah, in fact, I mean, nothing that happens to me is outside the realm of God's sovereignty. I haven't found COVID easy to cope with myself, to be honest with you. And I know others have suffered more, but I know that God can be trusted. And I keep telling myself this, reminding myself that God is faithful, taking the word of God and resting upon that. And this can help temper our frustration that we felt at times, whether that frustration has been with why God has allowed things or whether that frustration has been with uh, local church elders or the government or brothers and sisters God is able to cope with COVID, and he's able to give me grace in the midst of it. God's plans have not been put on hold for two years. 
This is part of what God is using to form us into the image of Christ, to teach us to trust him and to teach us to love one another. Hmm. Amen. That's really good, Matthew. So the sovereignty of God just helps us to uh, temper some of our frustration. But the, the first thing I want to put into the toolkit is a process for working through anger. Uh, because some of us are going to have some residual bitterness and, and anger, frustration. Sometimes that frustration might be directed against people in authority, whether in the government or in the church. Sometimes that frustration can be directed into, to, towards other people in our local congregation. And, and so we need a process for working through our anger. And that's what I want to take us to. Uh, there's a number of verses that have helped me with this. And one of them is in Psalm 4, verse 4, where David writes, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. It's such a strange uh, verse, isn't it? He, he's saying, be angry, don't sin. And Paul picks this up in Ephesians 4 when he's writing to Christians, and he's he says, verse 25, you know, to put away falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor, for we're members one of another. And then he says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And I think this is a, a really important truth for us. Um, the Bible doesn't say, don't be angry here. It says, be angry, but, but don't sin. And so I think we get a glimpse here that anger isn't necessarily inherently sinful. Um, the Lord Jesus himself, in a few occasions in the Gospels, he expressed and he experienced anger. But the big question is, well, what do we do with our anger? And, and we're told to be angry and sin not. So I think what these verses are telling us to do is, is to work through our anger, to process our anger, and yet to do so uh, within a time frame and, and within the limits, within some limits, so that we're not sinning as we as we work out our anger. And uh, a passage that has really taught me how to do this is in Leviticus chapter 19. This has been uh, so helpful for me. Leviticus 19 and verse 17 uh, says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. The word of God here in Leviticus is saying, well, here's, here's a way of working through your anger. Here's a process. It says, don't hate your brother in your heart. What happens for us is we, we maybe experience someone doing something against us that angers us, and we, we dwell on it, we mull it over, we let it fester within us, and we let it color all our thoughts and all our feelings that we have towards this other person. And we, we know that we're not supposed to, you know, blow our top or, or uh, just do a violent outburst or anything like that. And so, but, but then we do the opposite uh, dangerous thing. On the one hand, you know, we're not supposed to just lose it. But on the other hand, what these verses in the Bible are, are saying, I, I believe, is that we're not just to bottle it up either. We're to work through it. And so, and so it says here, don't hate your brother in your heart what do you do instead? It says, you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. And so a way of working through our anger, let's say bottling up a lot of frustration against someone, 
a, a way we process this anger is after quite a bit of prayer and with much humility and in a spirit of love, we, we go to this brother with a mindset of, I don't want to spend the rest of my life bitter and angry at this person. And so what I want to do is have a fairly frank conversation with this person, tell them maybe how I'm feeling, explain to them about some action that they've done that I'm really struggling with, with a view to, now that we've talked, talked about it, um, we, we can work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. In other words, if we don't find a process of working through our anger, then we are going to sin against him, right? It, it's going to fester so much that he's going to do one other thing, maybe six months from now, and that's the time when I'm going to lose it. And, and I'm going to do things that I really, really regret. And so he's saying, he's saying in order not to uh, sin, work through your anger ahead of time in a timely and humble way. And then uh, just a little bit later, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is actually a way of loving my neighbor that when he upsets me, I don't let it sit and grow and develop all kinds of other stories, but I, I lovingly, humbly, prayerfully go to him and talk about my issue with a view to resolving it together. Yeah, I think of that psalm that you started at, Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin, ponder in your own hearts on your beds. Um, if we don't work through it with the Lord and with this brother or sister, uh, then when we ponder in our own hearts on our beds at nighttime, we do start uh, just dwelling on the negative, right? And we start imagining them you know, doing something else that's uh, going to get us more angry. And when we go down that negative path, sometimes about things that you know, are never going to happen actually, but because we have that negative spirit in there, and that's why it is better to deal with it, as you have said. I suppose, Mike, that the the tendency for us when we're angry is to lose control, but that's not consistent with godly anger. And as we go, as you mentioned, with after much prayer and with humility, there's also going to have to be a, a listening ear, isn't it? It's not just going to be us making our case, but we're going to need to listen as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's all very personal for me that there was a situation in which someone said something publicly and I was pretty sure it was directed against me and, and wasn't very kind and so on. And, and I mean, my first reaction is just to really well up with anger and come up with lots of arguments that I can use with this person. But, but as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, Lord, how, what does love look like in this situation? And this text from Leviticus 19 came to my mind. Well, love for my neighbor in this case means I dare not just just do nothing, right? I mean, I can't get up afterwards and let off steam, but but nor can I just go home and stew about it the whole way home and let this thing grow and grow and grow and affect the way I treat this person for the rest of my life. No, love for this person right now means I, I come, but I drop all the arguments and I, I humbly come and say, look, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. I really don't want to think this for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm here to listen. Can you tell me what, you know, can, can you talk to me about what you meant, what, whether my, my suspicions are true and so on, you know, and yes. So, so listening is a crucial thing, Matthew, for sure. All right. Well, my next tool in my toolkit, in our toolkit is 
related. So we've talked about remembering the sovereignty of God. You've given us a, a process for working through anger. Tool number three in the toolkit, remember that God has saved us in his goodness and loving kindness. Remember that God has saved us in his goodness and loving kindness. Mike, do you know what passage I'm referencing there with those words? Um, to me, uh, Titus 3 is coming to my mind. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a lengthy quote from Titus 3. You are correct. And I know these opening words from Titus 3 are going to make a, a few of our faithful listeners want to pull out their hair a little bit. So I just want you to listen to the whole thing. Relax. Take a deep breath. And hear what God says to us in this passage. Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? Well, here's one reason he gives us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, he's saying that hateful spirit that characterizes the age, the malicious words that fill so much social media space, they come from a heart that we too possess. But remember, we've been given a new heart, beloved, or in the words of Titus 3, remember, we've been saved. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he's made us a new person whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Wow, those are excellent words from the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3. Remember, you've been saved for a purpose, brothers and sisters, and one of those purposes is to show the virtues, the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into light, there were traits of spiritual darkness that characterized the culture of the Cretans, where Titus was. They tended to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, chapter 1. But now they're to be different because they've been saved. Chapter 2, Christ redeemed them from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we've been saved by the goodness of God. And that goodness is now to characterize us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Are you with me on those ones, Mike? Well, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is, a, a little kindness goes a long ways. Of course, God has shown us a massive amount of kindness, as that passage says. But, but now, yeah, I mean, His kindness leads us to to acts of kindness, to restraint with our words. Uh, yeah, I, I love that you've thrown that one into our, our toolkit, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, you were just speaking particularly of our relationships with our brothers and sisters, and uh, I'm thinking a bit broader here. I mean, there are people um, that we're not going to get a chance to interact with personally. There are people that we're not going to get to talk to one-on-one. -on -one. 
And there's some also also some frustration towards them, whether it's government government officials or others. And I just think we need to obey this scripture. I know there's a room for calling out sin, but you know, people have been in very difficult positions having to make very difficult decisions. I don't agree with them all either. And I'm not saying that I've upheld this scripture perfectly either, but speak evil of no one, gentle, perfect courtesy toward all people. They are in the image of God and they deserve our respect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think my next one goes well with that. My next tool is is a sense of proportion, a sense of proportion. And, um, and, and what I mean by that is a sense of proportion about how much I've been forgiven versus how much I need to forgive others for. And uh, yeah, this challenged me this morning, actually, in my prayer time, just uh, felt a sense that I'd forgotten how much I've been forgiven. I've, I've forgotten how big a deal it is that that God has actually forgiven me my sins. What we tend to do is, is exaggerate how much we have to forgive others, how, how wrong, how greatly we've been wronged, and, and maybe we minimize how much wrong we've done against others and, and the Lord. Of course, the famous passage on this is Matthew 18, where Jesus speaks, uh, uh, tells the parable of the uh, unforgiving servant and uh, I think everyone knows it well. The one servant had been forgiven like a gazillion dollars and yet turned around and demanded this other person forgive him. Sorry, that this other person uh, pay him back for like 10 bucks. And that's, that's how it is. Now, I don't want to minimize. I mean, some, some, some listeners will have been hurt terribly and sinned against awfully. And, and I don't want to minimize that at all. However, no matter what has been done against us, it really it really is proportionately less than the, the infinite debt that God has forgiven us. And so we need to, to remember a sense of proportion. It's as we dwell and come back to on a daily basis, the amazing grace that we've been shown, the tremendous forgiveness we've been shown for all our sins, that we will then be proportionately gracious and, and forgiving with others. And so this sense of proportion, it, it will make us forgiving. It will incline us to want to patch things up with others. And, uh, you know, I guess in, in light of what you said there in Titus 3, Matthew, to, to yeah, have restraint. And like, if we're going to um, talk about the sins of others, to do so with a profound sense that I am a guilty sinner myself. And only by God's grace have I been forgiven. Good reminders. Thank you. And Matthew, do you mind if I just jump ahead and do my next one too? Because it kind of goes with this. Please do. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. So my third one is, is a love that believes the best about others. And so my verse here is, is 1 Corinthians 13, where uh, it's the famous love chapter. And Paul says in verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. So my, my three tools for the toolkit are number one, a process for working through anger. My second one was a, a proportion, a sense of proportion. How much have I been forgiven versus how much do I need to forgive others for? But this third one is, is a preference, a preference, the preference of love to give the best interpretation of the actions of others. 
it says love believes all things. And I think, no, this doesn't mean we're naive um, and we don't have any sense of realism, but, but it means that when in doubt, I try to hold out hope that what others did, they did with the best possible intentions. And, and we can um, uh, just apply this to the decisions that elders have made. We can apply this to the decisions that just individual members have made. Why did they do that? Will we choose to interpret it in the worst possible light? Or will we be motivated by a preference of love to try and see it um, as them, yeah, just doing their level best? Maybe we don't agree, but maybe we can try to like love. We can try to believe the best about them. Excellent. I'm glad that you have that in the toolkit, the words to love one another, always relevant and particularly needful right now. The last item in our toolkit is to remember that the Lord Jesus is coming back. Amen. And I'm thinking of Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's, uh, that's a great reminder that the Lord Jesus is going to come back and all things will be subject to him. Uh, that's when there will be perfect government and not before then, but there will be in that day, there will be righteousness and peace when the Lord Jesus is reigning. And uh, he's going to deliver us from this lowly body. This is why we're subject to viruses and other weaknesses because we have this lowly body that's been infected and corrupted by sin but we're going to be like Christ. And this is all coming when our Savior comes from heaven, our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And these two years of the pandemic have helped me to appreciate all the more that our citizenship is in heaven. I am a, a Canadian citizen, but my greater allegiance is to Christ in heaven. I'm very thankful for Canada. I think I live in a good country, but it's not a perfect country. And the pandemic has just reinforced that. It's not my role to make Canada a perfect country. It is my role to represent the rule of heaven here and to remember what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom is going to dawn in its fullness in the future. Uh, in the meantime, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want to live like Christ before this world and to take the attitude of Christ and that the Apostle Paul modeled himself towards government, towards the world, and what his focus was on and what the New Testament appeals to us to focus on, remembering that our citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about some of those things too. And and that that citizenship in heaven and that future that we're looking forward to, it is a powerful uh, truth that unites us as well. You know, when, when I look around at my brothers and sisters, I think, I think to myself, you know, we all have the same Lord. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same father. We all came into the family of God the same way, you know, by, by basically saying I'm wrong and, and having to trust in another, which is very humbling and unifying. And we all have the same destiny. That's what I'm wanting to tie in. We all have the same destiny. We're all headed the same place uh, to, to, to be perfectly conformed to Christ and in his presence. And, and so in other words, yes, we do have some things to disagree about regarding 
health orders, regarding interpretations of certain verses, regarding how the church should respond in certain situations. But, but that which unifies us is so much greater, so much greater than, than some of these other issues, which are important, but they, they do not swamp the, uh, the core truths that unite us. So keep looking up, everyone. This too will pass. The morning will dawn. We live in a troubled world. That's another thing this text is reminding me of. We do live not only in troubled bodies, but in a troubled world. Of course, what we're talking about coming out of COVID. And remember that there's beloved people who are over in Ukraine right now and they're enduring war. And I know there's many other hardships around the world. And we're looking forward to the day of the Lord's return. And in the meantime, we would just love to see as many ready for that day that they will join us in that shared destiny. Amen. So uh, six tools for our toolkit to help us get back on the road to recovery after COVID. We need to remember God is sovereign. We need a process for working through our anger, and we have one. Uh, we need to remember that God has saved us with his goodness and loving kindness. We need to remember that, that great debt that we've been forgiven, which will make us more forgiving to others. And in love, to, to want to believe the best about others and not assume the worst. And then finally, Matthew, you gave us this wonderful one to finish with that, that Jesus is coming from heaven for us and we have uh, a wonderful future. There will be a new heavens and earth, which will be a perfect world, the world we all long for. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll start a couple new series in the weeks that lie ahead of us, Lord willing. We'd love your feedback on this episode as well. Please feel free to get in touch with us, info at practicologypodcast.com or through the social media channels. And we hope you all have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you all. Yeah, see you next week, everyone. Bye.